Hey, y'all. In just a moment, we'll be starting the third episode of the Potechesis podcast as we look at question number two of Wesley's revision of the Shorter Catechism. But before then, I just want to turn your attention to our website, potechesis.com, where you can find all the show notes for this episode and more resources from other shows. Also, you can find us all over the place. We're on Twitter, at Potechesis. We're on Facebook, Facebook slash Potechesis. We're also on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher. We're on iHeartRadio, TuneIn. We're all over the place. You can find us on your favorite podcasting app like Overcast and any other app that you use. In other words, you can find us everywhere. Uh, If you do find us, we ask that you do leave a review, especially on Apple. Uh, We'd like a five-star review. That just helps us, especially in Apple's realm. Leave a five-star review. Let us know that you were listening and that you liked the podcast. We are so excited for this community and what is happening um, in the short amount of time that this podcast has been live. Now, we move on to question number three of the Shorter Catechism on this episode of the Podakesis Podcast. Y'all enjoy Hello, Potacumans. Hope you're doing well. Welcome to the Potacesis Podcast. I'm Brett Maddox, and I'm joined by my friends and yours, Alan Kaysen and Jim Morrow. Alan, Jim, how are y'all doing? Doing Fantastic. great. How are you, Brett? Doing great, doing great. It is good to see y'all once again and to be with y'all. And it's good to be with all y'all listening now. I can't believe this is the third episode of the Potacesis Podcast, and we've got some great uh, reviews so far. People just Chiming in, commenting on Facebook, on Twitter, on our website at podcasts.com, and just letting us know what they think about the podcast. Have y'all um, have y'all heard anything? Oh yeah, man, this is fantastic. I one of my I love hanging out to talk and have these wonderful conversations with y'all. But the conversations that are happening in the Podakesis community, I mean, they get me jazzed through the week. So thank everybody for listening. I love um, my friend Allison uh, said that she took a walk with us. Yes, uh, able to just listen, and uh, that was just so wonderful to hear that we were able to engage in conversation and, and enrich her spiritual life. Um, just got a bunch of great reviews, uh, people actually engaging in conversation. I'm super excited about. That's awesome. I know one from a friend of ours, uh, of us three, a guy named Jonathan, who said, uh, and he's a campus minister. He said he's using this, uh, he's going to be using this podcast as part of his discipleship program in college ministry. And that's exciting. That's exactly why we put this together as a resource to help people grow in the Lord and to know more what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And that blows my mind. That blows my mind. That's awesome. Uh, We also got a quote from our our buddy Robbie who said, thank you for a better way to explain holiness. We are set apart from the world, not meaning physically distant, but we're different because we have a different purpose. Mm. Uh, That's great. Uh, Hey, did you guys know that we even said that? I didn't know that we said it's kind of like <laughs> kind of like, a, kind of like a preaching on Sunday morning, you know, yeah, no. you get back and the congregation says you said this. And I'm like, all right, Lord, I guess that was a spirit or something. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, huh. Absolutely. I can string two words together. <laughs> 
But we could not be happier that we are reaching a niche here um, through this podcast, and we're so grateful for y'all's support. Absolutely. Please pass this podcast along to your friends. Share it with people, uh, followers of Jesus or non-followers of Jesus. There's probably people out there who are who are re- looking for what does the Christian faith mean and why does it matter. Uh, this podcast could be great for them. So pass it along to them and invite them to be part of the Podakesis community, to become a Podacuman, if you will. We're all about helping people become potacumans. That's right. By the way, potacumen is not a spice that you use in chili. Um, that's oh, my bad. <laughs> right, thanks for the dad joke. Thanks for the dad joke. Well, we just came out of Father's Day, so yeah, it's still sure. kind of... <laughs> um, people, but, uh, y'all going to know us real well. The pot, the potacesis community is just real genuine. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, the last episode, episode two, we we tackled question one of the Westminster Shorter Catechism and John Wesley's revision of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And that question was, what is the chief end of man? And that answer was to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Now we're going to see the catechism move forward to this next question. And this brings me to a point that I want to say real quickly to everybody. Uh, you can, each uh, one of our episodes, they really are standalone episodes. You can mm. pick them up wherever you are. But there is a thread, and it does help if you go back to the beginning and kind of follow through if you're catching up with us now, because these questions build on each other. And to give an example of that, Our second question from the Westminster Shorter Catechism uh, builds on this idea of glorifying God. And the question is this, what rule has God given to direct us how we may glorify him? So that first question was, what is our chief end? Well, it's to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So then this second question gets to this, well, then what standard, what rule has God given us to direct us how we may do that, how we may carry that out? And uh, what's the answer? One of you two, Alan, Jim, y'all just throw it out there. You know you got it in front of you. What's that answer? The answer is, Alex, no, I'm kidding you, Brett. The word of God, which is contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And so before we actually get into this question and answer of what standard or what rule has God given us and that talk about the word of God, let me say a few things. Uh, You're going to want to listen to this podcast all the way to the end. We've got a special announcement. That's right. We're episode. That's exactly right. We're three episodes in and we already have a special announcement. That Whoa. We'll let you, yeah, I know it's just, I didn't think mind. we'd have a special announcement to like episode 12. Wow. <laughs> We're moving forward with this. So we have a special announcement uh, that we'll be mentioning at the end of this episode. And it's it may sure. or may not include a brand new kale smoothie recipe. <laughs> I can guarantee you this. It will not include a brand you new sales. You can't sales. guarantee that because I have <laughs> access to the website. Hanging on to the end suddenly decided not to hang on. <laughs> <laughs> Because of those people, and we want to hold them on, it's not kale. Anyhow, so this is uh, what we're going to do. So um, uh, we're getting into this question, and this question, actually the next uh, two episodes, this one and the next one, have to really deal with the theme of, they deal with the theme of the Bible itself. And uh, so this question, what rule or standard has God given us, is an important one for us to to really examine. And as we get started, let's start with some scripture on this. And the first piece of scripture I want to read is from 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, which says that all scripture 
is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And here we get this idea of inspiration. God breathed this idea of God breathing life into these words and that there's a use for these words. Uh, Alan, go go ahead, Jim. Just think about that real quick. Just remember when we talk about inspired things, it's literally inspire and ex that have to do with breathing of taking in. So when we read in this translation of second Timothy, God breathed inspired. So it all goes hand in hand. That's my little word nerd coming out, but maybe it'll connect a dot for somebody. Yeah, very much so. Um, Alan, you've got that Ephesians. Do you have sure. that Ephesians passage? Okay. Ephesians two uh, verses 19 through 22. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone in him. The whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Absolutely. And so you may be thinking to yourself as you're reading this, well, there's nothing in there about like scripture or (laughs) that kind of thing. Well, um, we're getting to the very words of God himself and how Christ is relayed, relay, uh, give, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? How Christ is, um, uh, revealed. That's the word I'm looking for, how Christ is revealed to us as the very word of God, the logos of God, in fact. And so this idea here that Christ himself and the teachings of Jesus are very, very important in the community of faith. And it also picks up on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the prophets, uh, especially in the time of the Ephesian writing, uh, were the writings of the prophets. And for us now, the writings of the apostles and right. so uh, we're built on those foundations. That's right. And our answer, and our answer talks about the Word of God, which is contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testament. It's That's not, right. It's, not, it's a focus on both, right. not one on the other, and that um, they all build up to Jesus Christ, who's the cornerstone. One hundred percent. And I, by the way, this whole like cornerstone, uh, living stone, it gets really played out in First Peter. If y'all ever want to go look at this, how mm. we are living stones and our cornerstone is Jesus. I mean, this whole idea of foundations and being built up as a community and the standard of our community, the authority of our community would be scripture itself. Can y'all just hear how excited these three nerd pastors are talking about the Bible? I mean, <laughs> goodness. Scripture upon scripture upon scripture. That's right. Oh, let me pick Absolutely. up this next passage. Yes. Uh, just so y'all know, when you when you get a copy of this uh, Wesley's Revision of the Shorter Catechism, um, each of these questions and answers has what they call scripture proofs that support the answer. So this is where these coming from. I'm going to read from 1 John chapter 1, 1 through 4. Mm-hmm. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared and we have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Mm. That's so good. I mean, that's so good. This word of life, 
Yes. This proclamation. That's right. It's, yeah, it's and, a, and you get the sense in, in this uh, verse that this is something that's passed on. Like we've heard this. This is what we have witnessed concerning the word of life and that it passes through by witness. Um, and for us, that is contained foundationally in the scriptures. I feel like I know Jim's been in this study uh, on first. Yes. John. I think you ought to just like, you just, we we'll just sit back and listen to Jim's. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> We've been doing a great study. You can find it on my church's YouTube page. <laughs> <laughs> That's Glenville United Methodist church. Oh, gosh, um, a plug, a plug and a special <laughs> announcement. <laughs> so uh, yeah. So and this is a beautiful thing. So I, I love wow. how you put that. There is something here to proclaim. There's something to pass on. Wow. And I think what's important about all three of these scripture proofs that we looked at is scripture says that scripture is important. Mm. Scripture tells us that scripture is important. And by the way, this, these are not exhaustive proofs here. This there's all kinds of stuff from uh, the old Testament and new Testament that point to this Uh, in the old Testament. um, Your word is a light into my feet and a lamp into my path. Um, Mm. The uh, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord will endure forever, will last forever. There's all of this stuff out there um, within Scripture itself that says, hey, this is important. And Man, that was kind of like a sword drill, wasn't it? I know, right? Exactly, it was. Scriptures. By the way, those are the only two that I know. So we just. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you also think about this. Scripture is self, it's, quote, self-referential about its importance. It declares right. its own. But also uh, throughout history, through the years and years and years and years and years that people, the church, that even, even the Judeo-Christian tradition has also agreed and the spirit has worked through to maintain and preserve. So it's like a witness upon a witness upon a witness that scripture is in fact foundational and authoritative. 100%. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's break this down um, a little bit, this question down that I think this is important. Not that type of breakdown, Jim. Um, we're oh, not I was dan- dancing. We're not dancing on the ceiling, Lionel Richie style here. So um, that might be an old reference. That might be a little yeah, bit of an, an old So reference. for all of you at our wonderful local Wesley Foundation who just heard that, you can Google that mm-hmm. um, and then ask your campus pastor why he's making you listen to all these old people. <laughs> Hey, real quick about this question. Don't yeah. you think it's interesting? So what what do we do? We glorify God and enjoy him forever, but mm-hmm. it's not willy-nilly free for all. Right. Absolutely. Like there's actually there's actually a way in which it's designed to do that. And I like the fact that the question even exists. Right. To say, hey, look, enjoyment means something specific. Right. Glorifying God means something specific. Right. Because we're not gonna we're not gonna get there on our own device. So I think that's neat. Carry on. Well, let, let me back, let me piggyback on that in this idea of a standard. And Alan, you may have hit on this in our uh, background episode, the Avengers Assemble episode, about there's truth and there's absolute truth. And I know that in our in our kind of culture we live in today, this postmodern or post postmodern or whatever it is type of culture we live in today, we question all these truths, these foundations, these institutions, these things that have been pillars, and we chip away at them until those pillars crumble and we're just left in ruins. At least that's my analysis of everything. Uh, But the truth of the matter is, is that there is truth, and if there is truth, there has to be a standard to it. There has to be a, uh, there has to be, there has to be a, a, a set, um, a, a set truth. And Alan, I was appreciative of you bringing that up in that first episode. 
Well, you're very welcome because I can't remember <laughs> anything I said in the first episode. <laughs> um, no problem, no problem. But the pointing out here to uh, <laughs> the uh, uh, scripture itself is that what we see here in this question is that it is the only rule. And it says that the only rule to direct us, the only standard to direct us. In fact, James McDonald, who writes the commentary of the West of Wesley's revision of the Shorter Catechism, writes this in his commentary on this question. He says, quote, the word of God as the infallible rule and directory is able to make us wise unto a perfect salvation and sanctification of the spirit and, and belief of truth. And the idea here is that the word of God, it's perfect. It's, per, it's the perfect standard to guide us, to get us to that place of salvation and of sanctification. It's the perfect standard. It's the perfect rule to get us there uh, for that. And um, I think this is something that the church um, in our denomination, but also just kind of in the, in, in the West, in the United States, needs to take seriously here. Mm. there's so, another quote in the back yeah. um where he's talking about uh, that that it seems like they're even uh, he was writing uh you have to correct me but this was a while back 1906 i think yeah. it was what it, about yeah, kind of an ago. what'd you yeah, say uh, alan a little bit of time ago that's just exactly a, right. oh, last so last century two <laughs> centuries um anyway um about a decay of of understanding right. of the scriptures and he says this, he says, to return to God's standard of faith and practice is to struggle against the whole world, the religious world not accepted. Right, exactly. So, so the idea that that we really have to work work hard, and maybe that's not the best choice of words, but even in the church, to recognize that uh, we also have the bent to dismiss or uh, minimize or add to this rule. I think that's a good corrective, and, and it might be that I'm hearing that as a pastor, but I think that other people would recognize that too, is that to keep that pure in our life of fellowship and faith with our with God and with one another is, is vital. Yeah, I agree. In fact, let me uh, speak to this. Um, Wesley is coming from a uh, he, he is a, a man who wants to restore primitive Christianity. This is uh, the ancient Christian church, the ancient Christian uh, way of being. But he's also one who is a man, he's a Protestant man. And what that means is that he holds firm to some key Protestant uh, pillars, some key Protestant understandings of, of, the, of the Christian faith. Uh, the Protestant Reformation ha- started in 1517 um, in Wittenberg, Germany, from Martin Luther. And one of the tenets or the pillars of the Protestant Reformation was this idea of, called sola scriptura, or by scripture alone. And um, sometimes in the church, what we tend to do, and even outside the church, is we'll use, instead of sola scriptura as the Latin phrase, we would use prima scriptura, which means uh, uh, scripture above other um, sources or scripture above other authorities. And that might sound like, yeah, I could get behind that. Scripture's the number one authority here, but there are, but what that gets to or um, is that there are these other divine authorities too that come to us. And that's not where Wesley was. Wesley was a man that believed and taught sola scriptura, this idea that, 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 that scripture alone 
was the divine authoritative uh, standard. Um, and the rest, tradition, experience, reason, whatever else, were interpretive lenses in which we mm-hmm. looked at Scripture. Yeah. But they did not, it's not that they even held the same weight. They were in another category altogether. That's a super strong point because as we were thinking about this episode, you know, so uh, we are United Methodists. I know not all of our listeners are, but we talk about um, using what uh, the Wesleyan quadrilateral, which is kind of a construct of, uh, it's not really from Wesley, but it says scripture, tradition, reason, and experience. And what we, I was just reading back over this, and I'm glad you mentioned that, Brett, because even our book of discipline, which tells us about the quadrilateral, doesn't say that these are all sources of divine revelation. Right, right. It is simply, um, th- it, it's talking about how do we understand our doctrine in our in our day that we live. Scripture is divine revelation and the others are lenses with which to interpret. But if we lose all of the context, and I'll make no commentary on that here uh, for this place, but we can mistake that divine revelation comes from all of these other areas. Now, do we experience God? Does that help inform how we understand scripture? Uh, is there tradition behind us and around us that helps us? Yes. Right. But that doesn't mean that those, we as United Methodists don't even proclaim that as divine revelation. Right. In fact, I mean, it would be, it would be, um, it would be wrong to do so. Um, it would put yourself because experience and reason is us. Mm-hmm. It's us, and that would, and, put, and we change, and we do, and and, and think about so this: we 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 change and evolve, and 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 we have different experiences and stuff. But the word of God stays the same. That's and, right. And so, if we start putting experience for just it, use that, mm-hmm. um, then um, then then the scripture changes too. Um, well, and, and, and you think I'm like a super well-reasoned guy, right? Except I keep bringing up kale smoothies. So how much reason do I actually have? I can't trust that. So we lean on the word of God. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that, that's a good point because what I always like to say is that there are, um, and I'm oversimplifying. I, I get that. It's my fault on doing this, but there are two types of people who read scripture. There are those who look at scripture as, as authoritative and those who do not. And those who look at it as authoritative, they have these important experiences. They have these important reasonings. They even look to these important moments within church history and tradition. But they always go back to what does Scripture say? What does Scripture lead? How is it? How do these things, how do my experiences line up to the standard of Scripture? Not how does Scripture line up to the standard of my experiences or my reasoning? That's the different a kind of viewpoint there. Uh, because Alan, you're, you're right. We can wake up every day starting off with a different experience just by how bad we feel when we get out of bed or how good we feel when we get out of bed or what's going on throughout. So do we really want that being the, the standard by which we look at scripture? I know I have a problem with that. You know, um, Charles Dickens in A Christmas Carol, do you remember Scrooge? Uh, he has that first uh, vision of, I guess, Jacob Marley, he wonders if he ate something bad for dinner. Yeah. So sometimes our experiences are simply based on what we ate a few hours ago. That's right. um, but, you know, let's, I do want to clarify here. <laughs> I do want to clarify here that um, we're, we're advocating for a really, really well thought through uh, interpretation and understanding of scripture. Right. Absolutely. That we, that we do think that there are so many uh, things that assist us in a full, complete, and wise reading of Scripture. 100%. Um, 
Yes. So just not to mistake those other things for revelation of God, um, but that God gives us those things to help us understand and appropriate into our lives the revelation of Scripture. 100%. This is, so um, Wesley said that he was a man of one book. That didn't mean he just read one book. Oh, no, no. <laughs> he was a voracious reader. Um, he, um, I, th- I think I read somewhere that he, even writer, he, was a, he had written or edited some 400 books. I mean, something crazy like that. But the real question is, is did he put out three episodes of a podcast? Not yet, he didn't. No, I'm okay. sure. <laughs> um, but well, uh, I, I might get in trouble for that one. But the one, but the one standard that he always went back to was scripture itself. Right. Um, I think it's interesting if you look at Wesley's kind of life and his conversion experience, it was a reading of passage. In fact, it really wasn't even a reading of scripture itself. It was a preface to a commentary on scripture that really kind of drove home what God was doing in his life. He has this powerful experience, this heartwarming experience, but what does he do? He goes back to scripture to read, to, to, uh, to interpret that experience. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what makes he, it solidified um, his ministry and his way of doing what he did after 1738 and beyond. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So um, uh, one of the things too, that this question brings up is the old and new Testament. So we, as Christians, we don't just start at Matthew. In fact, what we do is we start in Genesis. Actually, what we do is we start with Jesus. Jesus becomes the lens in which we read the old Testament and they're all the New Testament. He be, the, the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus becomes that lens in which we, we do all that. So we have the Old Testament, we have the New Testament, and <clears throat> I don't know if it's wrong for me to say this, but we can't unhinge ourselves from the Old Testament. We, we, Wait, we can't unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament? Or unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. Somebody recently told me I should. <laughs> What'd I you say, Alan? I thought we put stuff in buckets. Yeah, we can't put uh, okay, in buckets. Okay, that's enough, <laughs> that's enough, <laughs> that's enough, that's enough. So the point being that we, <laughs> uh, we, we, cl- we, we find that Scripture is Old and New Testament. Have you all heard right. um, just the difficulty that people have with that? Um, I mean, this way back in, in history when people were editing and cutting out words of Scripture— Right. Yeah. Uh, but people sometimes have a hard time understanding, you know, quote the God of the old and the God of the new. And right. Yeah. One hundred percent. Yeah. And that gets a little interesting. But but if over time, as as you read and focus one, you're not going to be able to understand the New Testament without the Old Testament, because I wish I could remember the percentage from off the top of my head. But between the direct quotations and the important allusions and metaphors that come from the Old Testament, right? You you, you make very little sense. Now, right. of course, you can understand it because God yeah. is good. Yeah, I think but, you, can, you can get a basic understanding, but you you don't fully understand the meaning behind much of the New Testament without the Old. You don't fully understand um, what Jesus, um, who Jesus was, who Jesus is, and what He did for us without the lens of the Old Testament. Right. And good luck reading the book of Hebrews without understanding a little bit about the <laughs> Levitical ba- priesthood. It's basically the Old Testament plagiarized. I mean, so there- <laughs> <laughs> and, so- and so another thing, and uh, forgive me if I'm talking too much, Potacumans, um, is that if you really look at the the ten thousand foot view of the story of Scripture, that it is one act of God. It's 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 one story, and you miss too much if you don't see that in the beginning, God created 
Right. And God created humanity and said it was very good and right. walked with them in a garden. Right. You know, oh, you absolutely. miss something if you don't go through and watch God's redemptive acts through history culminating in Christ and breaking out into the world through the church. Right. That's 100. That, that's absolutely correct. I think about, you know, I think about, you know, Jesus being the new Adam. I mean, you don't get any of that. You don't understand any of that unless you read through the Old Testament and the, the sin of the garden of, uh, you know, of Adam and Eve and yeah. all that that caused. And I mean, just, yeah. You got to yeah. read yeah. the Old Testament. Yeah. Okay. You got to read the whole scripture. <laughs> you do. You do. And it's important. And in that lens, that Christological or Christ lens becomes the important lens for reading back in the Old Testament. Um, I, I'll give one example of this. I was teaching a Bible study uh, last week, um, and the, I, the, the, the Mosaic laws, the laws of Moses, 613 laws of Moses, comes up. And the big question is why does this matter today? This is a completely different society, a completely different time period that of, 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 of people really that don't exist anymore. I mean, this is a different, different uh, just thing. Why do the you know why does the law that says uh, the laws that govern if your ox gorges your neighbor, this is what you do. This is how you. Why does that matter to me as a 21st century person? Because first of all, I don't own an ox. Um, well, and, that's where you've really made the mistake. <laughs> that's where I've made the mistake, absolutely. And um, if I did, I think I would do my best to keep my ox from gorging my neighbor. But I think there's something to this idea, if you take that 10,000 foot or that, that bird's eye view of Scripture and ask the question, what is the principle behind this law? What is the principle being taught? Um, it is to love your neighbor, Right. I mean, isn't that the thing that is going on? If you if you truly love your neighbor, you're going to do everything you can to protect them from your even your property. Mm -hmm. And the uh, idea that in that example that that justice is uh, prime is, is a value in the kingdom of God. Right, one hundred percent, absolutely, absolutely. I think what makes I think what makes a lot of the Old Testament it's hard to understand. It's just, we're just in a totally different world, and things seem so primitive. We don't understand how. Why would why would God ask people to do these things? It's just a whole nother world. And so, how do we how do we help our people? How do we help mm -hmm. people sort of get over it? I mean, you know, it's just it's just this this is a, it's a huge roadblock, I think, for people um, because we just live in a different world. Um, yeah, and at the same time, uh, and I won't belabor this section of the thing too long, but we live in the same exact world because I was reading, and uh, I have a, a annual reading plan. Um, and I just, I've been really enjoying that as I've struggled to get my discipline back. Um, but reading through Judges not too long ago and recognizing that every few chapters, something great would happen and then the leader would die and all of Israel would go into chaos. And I think the quote is, do what was right in their own eyes. Right. Yes, that's right. And it's like, wow, you know, <laughs> when nobody's yeah. looking, don't I, don't we all do that same thing still today? 100%. And, and, and how does God work in that? You know? Yeah. Absolutely. So um, this idea of right and wrong, this idea of being a standard, Wesley uh, said of Scripture, he said that the Christian rule of right and wrong is the Word of God, the writings of the Old and New Testament. Uh, Wesley saw it as a standard for morality, for our ethics, for how we, how we live. In other words, Scripture is important, hmm. and it's not only important, it's authoritative. And what we mean by authoritative is that it... It, it, what, it, what it says matters to how we live our lives. In fact, 
it, how Scripture frames the way we should live as followers of Jesus is not just a um, if you feel like it type thing. It's it's bigger than that. It is it's, it's prescriptive. It is you should live this way. This is a this is why some of these things are called commandments. This is how you are to be different. This is how you are to be holy. And here is the standard. And so reading Scripture well, uh, knowing Scripture is so very important. And I'm going to make a statement here that I hope doesn't make people mad, but uh, maybe maybe it does. And it's this. I think part of the problems within the church today and not just the church and not just one single denomination, but I'm talking to the listeners who are listening right now, is that we're not good readers of Scripture. What do I mean by that? That you and me, that we're not good readers of Scripture. If Scripture matters, one of the things we have to do is to become good readers of Scripture. It, 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 we have to learn what it means to actually read it and to do it, to live it out, to allow. I think it the to Bible judge. says we should do that too, right? Well, that's exactly that's exactly <laughs> right. So, why does it matter? Uh, why does it matter? Um, and I think we need a revival in the church of good Bible reading. So, one of the things I would like for us to take some time to talk about, I mean, if this is the standard to teach us how to glorify God and enjoy Him, if the Bible is the authoritative standard to t- teach us how we are to carry out our chief end, our purpose as humanity, wouldn't it mean that I need to learn how to read this thing? I need to learn what it means. You don't have to be a Hebrew scholar. You don't have to be a Greek scholar, but you do need to learn how to read it and how to read it well and how to Mm. teach it too, especially if you're a parent or you've got people who are under you in some fashion or other to teach it well through your life and through actual teaching. How do you read scripture and can you read it, read it well? And so um, what I would like for us to do is I would like for us three to kind of just give some tips on good Bible reading um, (laughs) to talk about how to be good Bible readers and what we do um, and what, how we glean um, uh, how we teach Bible reading in our Mm. context. Yeah. um, One of the things that's important too is reading the Bible, of course, is something that I think that a general Christian says, yeah, that's something I should do. And maybe even something I generally want to do, but maybe we don't make the time for it. Maybe we've had experiences with it mm-hmm. where it's supposed to be, quote, the the rule book for life. And you look through it and you don't find as many instructions for how to, you know, live in this circumstance as you want. And so maybe it feels out of touch. But there, I want to uh, just, there's powerful beauty in reading the scriptures. Uh, give me a minute to tell a story and then I'll give you my tip. Can I do that? Okay. Sure thing. So I've told you all before in previous episodes that I didn't grow up as a Christian. I came to Christ later in life and in uh, high school. Um, There there was a situation. uh, We had done a play. I did theater in high school. And um, at the end of the play, everybody was so excited. And uh, one of the girls in the cast, she was a few years older than me, and she was a Christian. um, And I knew that. She gave out cards to everybody. Uh, You know, you did such a great job. Thank you for being a part. And at the end of it, she wrote this really weird thing that I had no idea. I I had no idea what it was. And it said, Philippians 1, colon 3. 
right? I, I had never had experience with the Bible. And so I actually had to look up and ask what that even meant. And then I looked at it in the Bible and it said, I thank God upon every remembrance of you. And I thought, wait a minute, the Bible can express something that matters to me? That was my first experience with the Bible and my first aha. And then later on in, after I was Christian, I was already in adulthood. Um, my church did disciple one, which is like 36, 34 weeks reading through the whole Bible in a small group. Yeah. Homework every week. Yeah. Yeah. But what a beautiful experience. Yeah. So here's what I, here's, I'm going to give a simple word of advice because I know there are people out there who will say, okay, yes, I'm supposed to read the scriptures supposed to. You're going to read the scripture and some days it's going to really touch your heart. And some days, even a real beautiful passage, you're going to be in a strange frame of mind and you're going to read it and your eyes are going to have to go over the lines 10 times before you even soak it in. And then you're just going to move on with your day and wonder what did that even mean to me today? What I'm going to tell you is keep doing it. All I would ask for anybody to do is as regularly as possible, put your eyes on the page and your heart on the page. Right. And if not in the moment and later on, and definitely over time, the story of scripture and the Holy Spirit of God, which I believe is active when we read scripture, will shape you, inspire you, and give you what you need for life. Eyes on the page, heart on the page. That's my simple word of advice. That's good stuff. That Jim. is really good stuff. That's good man. stuff. And I think, because um, I think, um, I think people look at us pastors and we think, oh man, they get to, they, they're reading the scriptures all day long. They get to just, um, <laughs> or they get to, and then also that we do. Right. And frankly, we are human beings and mm. we have struggles. Um, sometimes we read it and it's, we don't get it. Or yep. sometimes we read it and it's boring. Sometimes it doesn't penetrate our hearts possibly because our hearts weren't open to allow it to be penetrated. So, right. I say that to say we know the struggles. Um, oftentimes we get caught in just reading the scriptures for a sermon um, mm. and we don't, we're getting it prepared to, to, to speak to, to everybody else. And we don't allow it to speak to us as individuals. Um, and so we all struggle with that. I think we all go through you know peaks and valleys with reading the scripture um, so that's really good, really good stuff. I just want to give, you know, super, super practical, um, simple uh, tip for reading the, the, the scriptures. It's called the soap method. You heard that you heard that right. Uh, fresh and clean soap. Um, S O A P. And you can do this in your head or you can, if you're a, if you, if you journal or like to journal, um, you can, you can write this out. It's, um, SOAP, say you're reading a chapter a day of the Bible, however you're reading the Bible, say, say you're reading a passage of scripture and you try to focus, you read through that scripture, you focus on something, uh, a verse, maybe a couple of verses, typically just a verse that stood out to you for whatever reason, you write that verse down, S, scripture, mm. O, observation. You write a one sentence observation of why did that scripture stick out to you? for whatever reason. So this is, again, you can do this in your head or you can write it down. Oftentimes it works well if you're writing it down. And then A, one sentence, 
application. How are you going to take what you have uh, read and observed and apply it to your life? And then P is for prayer, a one, two sentence little prayer, uh, asking God to help you apply that to your life. Super mm-hmm. simple, super practical. Yeah. Um, and the, there's going to be days, like Jim says, there's going to be days where you don't feel it, but it's that habit. It's the mm-hmm. habit that you create. Um, so, right. bam. That's and it. and I, w- I would also yes. just add to that, uh, Alan, application is such an important, because so much of our reading um, that we do or reading tips have a, an application piece to it. But the thing about application is you've got to do it. Yeah. You can't just say, you know, I'm going to love my neighbor as myself and then go out and um, not, not love your neighbor. <laughs> not. And so um, this is one of those things also that takes time. Like any relationship, relationships take time to build. Um, Alan and I have known each other for uh, quite a while, and um, he's one of my best friends. Jim is quickly becoming one of my closest friends, and that's. Aww. But this is a this is a relationship. These are relationships that build as we get to know each other, and this is the same thing with the Lord. And the way we get to know the Lord is through the revelation given to us. Hmm. That is through Scripture itself. And so, don't beat yourself up if you mess up. If you, if you skip a time of reading, I'll go ahead and tell you, this has been an incredibly hard week for me. And part of the reason it's been an incredibly hard week for me is because I haven't done well in my disciplines of reading scripture. Mm. Uh, my focus has been off. I, I've been looking at everything else, but I haven't been doing what I know I need to do to go to God's word and at least allow it to speak life into me. And, um, you know, it may not be, you know, what I'm reading may not be directly, uh, uh, may not directly affect or directly speak to the things I'm going through in my life. But the fact that I'm going to God's word every day, that's an important thing. And I'm at a place in my relationship with God that I, I know when I have missed it. I know when I've missed those conversations with God and hearing his word and reading his word in my life. But don't beat yourself up. Just continue at it. Any good relationship is going to have its uh, valleys. And so you just move through those valleys and to, you know, to grow. Um, I, the, the method I want to give is I want to go back to is kind of a two-part one. First is I'm, I'm going to just read to you a very short here, uh, Wesley's um uh, teachings on how to read scripture well. Ooh. And this is important. And he basically gives five, five things for us to, to think about, five practical steps. The first is, he says, set apart a spe- specified daily time for scripture study. Now, Wesley's was early in the morning, but yours can be whenever it works for you. Maybe it's on a, you know, maybe it's early in the morning, maybe it's late at night, but set that time aside and try to make it consistent and try to make it scheduled. I think that's the, when, when I fail is when I don't do that. Yeah, real quick. So um, I'm, I'm in a small group with um, uh, six other guys in my church and we're all different ages. Um, so I'm 37. Um, I got a guy in my church who is in his eighties. And so it's awesome. And he's been doing this thing for so long. been walking with Jesus for so long. And um, just recently he switched to evenings. Yeah. Um, like that's when he, like, he's like, I'm, I'm retired. I was a coach. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to get up anymore. <laughs> like, I, I, I sleep in. Right. So right. His, his season of life, he has moved like his time with God to the evening. 
Right. And so just go show you. I mean, it's like anytime, just just pick a time. Just pick, just a, time. pick a time. Right. And and make it scheduled. I think that's the the thing. Write it down and say, this is going to be my moment. And it doesn't have to be five hours of scripture reading. Um, it can be 30 minutes. It can be, it can be an hour, it can be whatever it is, but it needs to be something that is meaningful uh, for you and that you can keep that schedule going. Um, he says, second point, he says, read the Old Testament in conjunction with the New Testament. Reading both with a, quote, single eye to know the whole will of God and a fixed resolution to do it. Um, read, read the Old Testament in conjunction with the New Testament. Um, and then he says, in point three, he says, have a constant eye to the analogy of faith, what he calls it, the connection and harmony there is between those grand fundamental doctrines, such as original sin, justification by faith, the new birth, inward and outward holiness. Uh, but basically what he is saying there is when you're reading scripture, have in mind these grand themes. Now, if you're new to the faith, you may not know, even know what those themes are. You may not know the grand story of salvation itself. You may not know what it means, what original sin is or sanctification is or justification. You may not know those terms, but you will. You will know what those are. You'll be in a, you know, get in a good Bible study, get in a good group, uh, a group who will help teach you those fundamentals. Listen to the Podakesis podcast as we, for example, just for example, just for example, we'll be your resource to help teach those themes but once you do learn those themes, those basics of the Christian faith, you will, uh, you will start seeing those themes pop up throughout Scripture. The fourth point, he says, is let your reading be surrounded by earnest prayer. Seeing Scripture can only be understood through the same spirit whereby it was given. So we read Scripture through, the, through prayer, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And lastly, he says, pause frequently for honest self-examination. Mm -hmm. Pause frequently for honest self-examination. Now, I will add a sixth point to this, and it doesn't flow really well, but just know that, is um, for me, when I read Scripture, it is important to read the context of Scripture, yes. the historical context, the how where it is in the Scripture. I'm, I'm not real big on taking a verse out of its spot and just saying, okay, here's this piece of Scripture. Now, let, let's see how it applies to my life. I want to see what comes before it, what comes after it, how it fits. Um, because we're looking at a grand narrative. We're looking at a grand story here. And so it's important to look at the context. Um, my New Testament professor, Ben Witherington from Asbury Seminary, he, used, he liked to say that a text without a context is a pretext for whatever we want it to be. Um, I'm going to say that again. A text without a context is a pretext for whatever we want it to be. That means, basically, we can make Scripture fit whatever we want it to fit. And we've seen this throughout history. We've seen this throughout history. Um, in the United States during slavery days, Scripture was used to justify slavery. It was also used in the abolition of slavery. Mm -hmm. And right. so um, we have to be very, very careful in how we, this is, context is key. I'm going to give one example of this. Many of you who are listening, you may have heard, if you've been in the church any amount of time, you may have heard the uh, passage of Scripture that comes out of Matthew that says, where two or more are gathered in my name, I am there with them. And this is a classic verse that talks about the importance of being together. And, and a comfort for when not a lot of people come to church that day. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah. This is good preacher stuff for us, right? <laughs> but, um, but it's used 
to talk about um, the importance of coming together. However, do, do you know where that passage sits in Matthew? The, what comes before it and what comes after it? Why don't you tell us, Brett? It's actually in Matthew 18. And in the particular portion of Matthew 18 that talks about uh, what's called the, um, uh, it's the, uh, oh, I forget the name of it off the top of my head, but it, it's where whenever there's somebody within the community who is sinning, mm. what you do with that person. Uh, and it, it basically it says that when someone is sinning, you bring them before uh, one or two people. And you, or you go to them, and if they go to them first, you yeah. go to them first. And if they continue in their sin, then you bring them to one or two people. And if they continue in their sin, then you bring them to the whole community, the whole mm-hmm. community faith. And if they continue in their sin, then you kick them out of the community. You basically excommunicate them. For where two or more are gathered in my name, I'm there with them. That's the context. Mm-hmm. That 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 verse changes when you look at it in its context from the way it's normally taught about. And I think that's important when we look at that. We can't just take uh, verses like Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's not telling us that we can just go out and do whatever the heck we want to do. Okay, Tim Tim Tebow. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) I love Tebow, man. Don't, Don't be bringing him down. What are you doing? What are you doing, Alan? Oh, man. I'm a, I'm a bulldog. So. Uh, I know you, you're just, yeah. All right. Anyway, so you're just sore from all those losses. Man. Oh, gosh. Oh. All right. Let's just. We're about on. to have to live out Matthew hey, 18 right here on the podcast. The can we not talk about the context, please? <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but, uh, but we can't just take those out. We've got to look at it in context. And that's what's important. So look at what comes before, look at what comes mm-hmm. after the passage and, and ask those questions of how does it fit in there. It also helps us also to understand um, what we're reading. You know, is this poetry? Is it narrative? Is it historical? You know, that right. type of thing. Those are important pieces uh, to this as well. Yeah. And I just to lift up to, um, there's a especially for new Christians, as you're kind of seeing all the stuff that's out there about the Bible that's easily accessible, uh, I just want to encourage everybody that if this is what we say it is, then we should treat it preciously, which means give of ourselves to study and understand it and let it speak to us instead of us try to, you know, tell it what it means. So if, for example, um, something is written in a, a poetic form, understand that. If uh, take some time to, there's some great books out um, that talk about basic understanding of, of biblical writing to help you understand, just to really take your time and, and don't, and don't be uh, too hasty with it. Right. Um, yes. There's a lot, there's a lot, for example, uh, that if you don't read carefully in the Bible, that all of a sudden you get this sense that science and the Bible are opposed to one another, right. which it's just, it's just not the case. Right. And, um, if you're not careful with the sources that you're picking up about starting to learn the Bible, you get, you can get into those quagmires of taking the Bible into places that it really didn't care to go or didn't really, you know, it's trying to take you somewhere, but you're mm-hmm. trying to take it somewhere else. Right. Um, I remember one of my professors of old Testament, um, said any interpretation that you make of a Bible verse needs to stand up to at least one reading of the Bible. Mm. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And so yeah, just absolutely. to be to be aware that 
it takes wisdom. It takes time. It takes study. It takes community. It mm. takes let the Bible interpret the Bible. Um, just want you to, to to hear us say, let's be really thoughtful. Yeah. Because it, this is so precious to us. Now right. the word can speak to you immediately. Yes. But just understand that there's a lot of interpretive stuff out in the popular sphere that may be putting things onto the Bible when the Bible wants to take us somewhere else. I think um, I think our question and our answer helps a lot. Um, what rule has God given to direct us how we may glorify him? The word of God, which is contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him. Right. It directs us. Yes. Uh, we don't direct it. That's exactly so, right. Um, yeah, that, that's exactly right, Alan. In fact, what I like to tell my church members when they ask me questions um, about these type that they'll bring up different things. What do you, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? Is one of the things I'll say is um, the question we have to ask is what is this passage trying to tell us? Uh, I'll give you an example. And Jim, you kind of brought this up with the whole science and faith thing. Genesis one, mm. you know, the six days of creation, the seven days of creation. Uh, is this a science? textbook that we're looking at here, or is it something else? And in my study of it, I see it as something else. I see it saying something else, not giving us a line-by-line item, um, a a line-by-line description of what creation looked like, but more this as a poetic, almost song of creation itself. You see this repetition that comes of it, and God said, and it was good, and God said, and it was good. You see this space and filling space and filling space and filling, just kind of these structures that come out of there that are very poetic in nature. So you ask yourself, what is this for? That's the important thing. Not not try to put on your own interpretive whatever it is you're wanting to put on there. And blow some people's minds. Did you know that there are two creation stories in mm. the book of Genesis? Yeah. Sit on that, go read your Bible. And Genesis 1 is younger than Genesis 2. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that's a whole different thing. Anyway, all right. So uh, scripture stories, I, I'm interested. What, what's your favorite uh, scripture story? I know that we've asked that question out on Facebook and Twitter, and we've gotten some answers. Uh, Dan, a friend of ours, uh, said that his most interesting passage that he looked at was the whole uh, the youths making fun of Elijah, Elisha, and uh, him calling out the she bears on them and to maul them. And what the- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, the Bible has some fun stuff in it. Yes, it does. Um, my favorite um, laugh out loud story is a story in the gospels where Jesus cast out, um, uh, demons or demon or demons, um, from a man, cast them into pigs and the pigs go run off a cliff. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. hilarious to me. You just, yeah. I mean, like, I, I guess it's a pastor nerd hilarious, but, um, you know, and then everybody's upset with yeah. Jesus because, their livestock are all dead. Right. Well, look, when my kids eat all the bacon at the house, I'm upset too. So I get where they're coming from. Um, but I don't know. I read that story and I laugh out loud. Um, another, uh, our friend Elena uh, talk, loves a story of Deborah and Judges with JL and the tent peg. I mean, some of the stuff that happens in the Bible is pretty Pretty yeah. interesting. Uh, Game of Thrones style right I there. I know, right. Absolutely. So thanks, Elena. Brian loves Onesimus. Um, I'm thinking we're talking about the story of Philemon and Onesimus. Yeah. Um, thanks, Brian, for sharing that. That's a good That's a good short letter, powerful stuff in the Bible. 
Uh, just love that some of y'all are engaging. There's with some office. stuff in the scriptures that would put days of our lives to shame. <laughs> Absolutely. You get it to Kings. Yeah. Just, again, yeah, again, for, for those of you in the Wesley Foundation, Days of Our Lives is a soap opera that old people watch. <laughs> Jim, what's your favorite Bible story? So can I do verses or does, do we need story? Yeah, go verses is fine. Okay. Uh, I am just enamored with Matthew 633. Uh, and I, I can always say it in the King James Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto thee. And just the concept of what would life look like if it was as simple as only seeking the kingdom of God. It stirs me, it convicts me, it inspires me, because my life is not that simple. I know my eyes are set on lots of things. So it's almost become like uh, it just rings in my ears. That's right. That's right. That's awesome. Yeah. And that, I mean, right out of the, uh, right out of the, uh, sermon on the Mount and mm. just this beautiful teaching of the kingdom of God, this upside down kingdom. I mean, it's kind of, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a wild thing. Um, uh, my favorite Bible story is, uh, from the new Testament and it's John 11. It's the story of the raising of Lazarus from the mm. dead. John is my favorite gospel. It's so different from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, there are only seven miracles that are mentioned in the gospel of John. They each have a purpose. I call it the superhero gospel because like of a course good- you do. It, I do. Because like any good superhero movie, um, it builds to this climax of a final kind of uh, reveal and battle and whatnot. Mm. Um, and what you're seeing is Jesus kind of in, unfolding from the turning water into water wine, to walking on water, to healing this person and that person. You see this unfolding of who he is um, in that gospel. And you get to John 11, and you get this beautiful, beautiful picture of, of um, um, Jesus. He's, he's uh, out of town. He gets word that his, his, his family friend, Lazarus, is sick. Um, and he's called to come and heal him, and he doesn't go. He says, we're going to wait a couple of days, and then we'll go. And it's so odd. Yeah, and you sit there and go, well, why wouldn't you go to your friend? But then word comes that Lazarus dies. And, La- and Jesus says, okay, we're leaving. So they go on to Bethany. They meet um, uh, Martha. Is it Martha they meet outside? Um, and Martha says, Lord, if you would have been here. And Jesus talks about the resurrection, of the uh, resurrection, the general resurrection. M- Martha says, well, I believe in that. I know there's going to be a resurrection in the end. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Mm. He who believes in me shall never die. It's a beautiful passage. Then he moves on. There's these mourners around. Lazarus has been dead for four days. The description that John lays out to let us know that Lazarus is truly dead, the smell, the decay, these kind of hints that there's death is here. Jesus goes to the cave where Lazarus uh, is laying. He asks the stone to move away. And this is the thing that gets me every single time. That that passage, Jesus wept. And we talk about that as being the shortest verse in the scriptures. And we kind of laugh about, well, I can memorize scripture, Jesus wept, John 11, 35, or whatever it is. There you go, everybody. Um, But here's the thing. If you read the end of the story, Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus comes out. He tells the people around, take the grave clothes off of him. They come and they take the grave clothes off of him. It ends with people, with religious leaders walking away, plotting how to kill Jesus because of this. But here's Jesus wept. 
here's what fascinates me about this story. Jesus knows he's about to bring Lazarus out. He knows Lazarus is going to live. He's been foreshadowing this, but the whole resurrection and the life thing. He knows this. And he still weeps. He still weeps. It speaks to his humanity. It speaks to his hurt for our hurt. It, it speaks to all of that. Even in the face of the resurrection, he weeps. Mm. It's a powerful, powerful image. Um, and I don't know how many of y'all have ever read Dostoevsky, uh, um, um, uh, Crime and Punishment. Uh, as a classic novel. Um, in this book, the protagonist um, is a guy who, uh, he, he, the book starts off, he kills a prostitute. And for the majority of the book, he's on the run. But he's trying to, throughout the book, he's trying to um, justify what he has done. I, this has been good for society. I did society a favor. I, I, I should be lauded for taking this burden of society off the streets for doing this. Why, why, are, what, what, why is what I've done wrong? So he kills this. It wasn't a, she wasn't a prostitute who he kills. It was an old beggar lady who he kills. He meets up with a prostitute, and uh, they're up in her room, and he's going through all this, and you can kind of see this turmoil going on in his life. And she pulls off the bookshelf a Bible and turns it to John 11, and he reads the Lazarus story. And from that moment on, Dostoevsky, it's kind of a climax in that story where you see uh, the protagonist, he begins to change. And ultimately, when he is arrested, he confesses to the crime, and you see kind of a change in his life, and it happens on the twist of the Lazarus story. Hmm. Uh, Laz the Lazarus story for John, for the Gospel of John, is, 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 a, is a twist of the story. It says, okay, now something's about to happen. We've lifted Jesus up. Now you're going to see what that lifting up is actually going to do. And it takes us to the cross into the resurrection. Um, Preach! I, I love the Lazarus story. I love the Lazarus story. Many times I see myself not as the mourner, not as Mary and Martha. I'm Lazarus, dude. Mm -hmm. I'm the guy he spoke into the darkness and said, Brett, come out of the grave. And I was given new life. And we all are if we give our lives to Christ. Amen to that. So that's my favorite story. All right. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Well, um, so the Bible, friends, it's important. It's authoritative. You'll hear terms, by the way, when you uh, talk to people, uh, inerrancy and infallibility. Those are just really, there's a, lot, there's a lot loaded into those terms, but they basically mean that uh, the Scriptures and the message of the Scripture itself is without error and is perfect. Um, that I don't want to get into the whole weeds about textual criticisms and and all that kind of stuff. That's a that's a different discussion for a different day. Um, you know, uh, are there mistakes in the Bible? This kind of thing. 
Um, there's really good resources. What I'll, what I'll, what we'll do is we'll link on our face on our, uh, on our website at podachesis.com, some really good video resources from Asbury Theological Seminary, seven minute seminary uh, video ser- series that speaks to some of those issues of, uh, of this quote unquote mistakes in the Bible um, and some top scholars speaking to that. So I'll, I'll link to that and you can look at that. This is not really the format to get into that those weeds. But what we look at when we talk about those words of inerrancy and infallibility is that it's in it's without error in its message and it's it's perfect in doing what it is what's given to us to do, to tell us the story of salvation so that we would come to know the Lord, so that we would be know who we can be in him. So, uh, Jim, Alan, any last thoughts about this before we get into the specials? Oh, special, oh special almost forgot. Announcement. Hey, yeah, uh, let's let's delay this a little bit because I have a question for you. Gentlemen, yes. I got a question. Yes. Okay, this is a hard one. What rule has God given to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him? Um, go ahead, of, Alan. The word of God, which is contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testament, is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him. <laughs> oh, good. Wow, the only rule. Oh. The only the only rule. Absolutely. Perfect. That's perfect. Special announcement. All right. Special announcement. Special, special announcement. We've actually got two special announcements. <gasps> <gasps> All right. That was weird, oh. Jim. Anyways. <laughs> that was Alan. <laughs> oh, that was Alan. Okay. So. <laughs> A lady joined the conversation. <laughs> Special announcement. Special. Um, uh, so first is uh, we're going to have our first giveaway. 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 We want to give away a copy of Wesley's uh, 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 revision of the shorter catechism, and uh, we're going to do this by Jim. You came up with some plan. Why don't you share what we're going to do? All right, we're going to put up a post on our Facebook page. It talks all about the giveaway. If you want to take part and give away. Uh, you answer the question and comment on it. And by the time we come to our next episode, we will do a, a drawing of everybody who's commented. And if your name is drawn, we're going to send you a free copy. That's of exactly Wesley's right. revision of the Shorter Catechism by Seedped Publishing. That's Riveting exactly right. reading. It's fantastic. It is good. That way you can read along with us. Exactly. Absolutely. But we got to come up with a good question. We'll do that off air. All right. Sounds good. And we'll have that um, up as we release this episode. So we're excited about that. And then if you win, we'll be in touch with you and figure out how we can get it to you. So that's what we'll do. All right. Our second announcement is because this question is kind of a, has a two part piece to it. uh, The the next episode, we will also be talking about the Bible. Uh, This episode was mainly about how the scriptures are a standard or a rule uh, for us in knowing how to glorify God. The next episode is going to deal with the question of what do the scriptures principally teach? What do the scriptures principally teach? teach. And so we have invited to join our conversation Dr. Brian Russell, professor of Old Testament from Asbury Theological Seminary. He's going to come in and he's going to join the conversation. He is great at this piece right here. This is what his uh this is what his uh his work is is what do the scriptures principally teach themselves all the way through. So we're excited that Dr. Russell is going to be with us. Okay, hold on. Yeah, I was in awe. Did you say Dr. Brian Russell? Dr. Brian Russell, absolutely. Oh, so. he's one of my favorites. I took so many classes with him. I love Dr. Brian Russell. 
it's going to be a great time, guys. He's so fun and he's so knowledgeable. I don't know what this Candler grad's going to do. <laughs> You're going. <laughs> You're well, going to love him, dude. You're going yeah. to love him absolutely. Um, he's been fantastic. I actually have never had him as a professor um, when I was in school because he. I think it was mainly on the Orlando campus. Yep. Um, That's but, where I was. Um, but uh, but I have done a lot of studies uh, with him, taught a lot of his studies here at uh, St. Luke, and um, I feel like he has been one of my professors through a lot of the stuff I've read by him. So I'm, I'm way excited uh, that he will be, be awesome with us. Well, as we bring this to a close, again, the third question is, what do the scriptures principally teach? That's what we'll be taking up in a couple of weeks on um, the next episode of the Podakesis podcast. You can check us out at podakesis.com, on Twitter, at Podakesis, Facebook, backslash Podakesis, um, and um, anywhere else. You can find us on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify. Um, you can find us anywhere, if you uh, on Overcast, anywhere. We're also on iHeartRadio. Um, and on tune in so we're excited about that so uh, find us wherever if you're not listening to us it's not because you can't find us so pass <laughs> so pass us along out there to your friends and to your family we're excited that you are with us and we will be with you once again um, in a couple of weeks on the Ponticesis podcast y'all have a great day